circle, yes, we rotate 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high, All right, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. Tonight, we got two great stories for you. On tonight's show, we'll hear a shout-out to the final days of the Asian American Pacific Islanders Heritage Month with a special piece on Larry Itliong, the Filipino farm worker and organizer who many credit with starting the Great Grape Strike and Boycott of 1965. After that, we'll get an update from Camp Ox Sam. That is a resistance camp led by Native elders who were on the front lines fighting a mega lithium mine, desecrating their sacred land. We'll have Chase Iron Eyes and Max Wilbert on for that. All that tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, Free Will and Franklin. I'm coming to you from downtown Antioch. This is Bay Miwok territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. All right, again, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. My name is Freewillen Franklin, and I am your host tonight. And before I get started, let me thank everyone who has donated to the Spring Fund Drive, and especially, of course, those who supported this show, Full Circle. As many of you know, we came up a bit short of our ultimate goal, but of course, you can still support KPFA anytime, but especially right now during this hour of Full Circle. I'll give out the website and the phone number one time before we get started tonight. You can donate online anytime at kpfa.org, or you can also call 1-800-439-5732, and that breaks down to 1-800-HEY-KPFA. We hope you can make a donation tonight and help us close this little gap. Um, For now, let's get on with the show tonight as Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month starts to come to an end. We wanted to share a special story produced here at Full Circle. This piece comes from myself and graduate apprentice Sarah Blanco from back in 2015 and we recorded this material in the lead-up to and as we traveled to Delano, California for the celebration honoring 50 years since the Great Grape Strike and Boycott of 1965. It was September 8, 1965, when Filipino farm workers in Delano, California, who were members of the Agricultural Workers Organizing Committee, also known as AWOC, led by Larry Itliong, walked off the job at Table Grape Farms in the area to protest the low pay and poor working conditions. 
It Leong and other leaders of AWOC felt that a successful strike had to include the many Latino farm workers in Delano. That led them to reach out to Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta and the NFWA to join them in their fight for dignity and respect on the job. In this piece, you'll hear Sarah reflect on her initial understanding of the grape strike and boycott and what she learned as she dug into the story. On September 26, 2015, myself, Frank Sterling, Full Circle and La Onda Crew, representing Pacifica Radio, headed south to Deleno, California, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the 1965 grape strikes and boycott. It was held on the United Farm Workers, the UFW's, historic 40-acre site. I went because many people in my family have worked in the grape fields of Deleno, so I attended as a Chicana, connecting with my cultural history, reconnecting with my roots, and I went to celebrate the heroes who risked their livelihoods in the fight for basic rights in the fields, like access to drinking water, access to bathrooms, and the fight for increased wages. I went also as a reporter to tell their stories, but instead I have discovered something more. There is a story of the highest caliber that has to be told. It is that of the Filipino workers and Larry Itliong. I have known this story, but only to a certain extent. Earlier in the week, in preparation for the journey from Berkeley to Deleno, I contacted the UFW and was able to record the stories of two women, both original strikers. Both women attributed the start of the grape strikes to the Filipino workers. Esther Urandai, in particular, was part of the 1965 strike, and she would later run the UFW membership department and was also in charge of accounting for the Robert F. Kennedy Medical Plan. When I began my interview with her, she started with a history about how her own family joined the strike. We were working on the fields at the time at DM Steel and Sons. And during working hours, we heard conversation from other workers that the Filipino workers, the organization AWOC, had worked out on strike. So we decided to walk out and strike and support. Everyone whose stories I recorded, basically everywhere I turned, including found in the music by Teatro Campesino, there is a recurring background story. But it seems that the history of the heroism and activism of the Filipino workers and Larry Itliong should really be more at the forefront because they were the reason that the grape strikes started to begin with. The day of the 50th anniversary festivities, Filipino strikers were honored. Original striker John Armington takes the stage to talk about his father, Bob Armington. John delivers a speech to us from his experience because as a child, he was present during the farm laborer meetings. Here we listen as he talks about the vote that took place on September 7th, the day the vote to go on strike took place. It's also the day before the strikes of September 8th began. Here's an excerpt of John Armington's speech. The meeting was to start at three o'clock. By noon, the Filipino hall was filled out the doors with workers and the foreman 
and that meeting went for hours. Crying, worrying, wondering, hoping to change something. And finally, after many, many, many hours, Larry asked if there could be a uh, vote. And that day they said, who agrees? The whole room raised its hand. The Manungs raised their hands. And the next day at three o'clock in the morning, we met at the hall and the strike began. The strike would not have started if it weren't for Larry Gitlion. AWOC came as an organization because there had been so many strikes Filipinos had been involved in in Seattle, Anchorage, Stockton, over many times, many years. So they struggled many, many times and often lost. And they wondered, would this win? Within a week to 10 days, the discussions were had. Caesar agreed earlier than he wanted, but the strike continued with a joint cooperation between the AWOC Filipinos and the farm workers under Cesar Chavez. In his speech, John Armington not only tells us that his father Bob Armington made the formal motion to strike, during the historic strike vote meeting on September 7th, but he also credits Larry Itliong. So, so far in the week, I had been hearing about Larry Itliong, but I wanted to hear his voice myself. Here's an excerpt from a video titled, The Filipino Americans. Larry stands in front of a video camera in 1974, and this is nine years after the first grape strikes and boycott had provided workers with contracts, cold running water, and access to bathrooms basic civil rights. He reflects back on the early days of the Filipino farm laborer experience, which really relates to the farm laborer experience of all ethnicities and cultures across this nation. We were brought here primarily to be exploited uh, on cheap labor to where the employers could make a lot of money. Now, for the many years that we have been here, Filipinos have tried to organize themselves uh, to the extent to try to bring about a better working condition and also to increase their wages, which are the lowest in the country. Uh, and this struggle it was not easy for the Filipinos to develop their organization because the forces of the employers are against them. The city, the state, uh, legislators are all against uh, these people because of the fact that we are minorities uh, with such different color. I sense a fearless wisdom and toughness in the matter-of-fact way that Larry Itliong was speaking in 1974. It's crucial to note that prior to the grape strikes of 1965, Larry had already been a labor organizer for decades with various organizations. Larry's actions and words make him a man ahead of his time. In the Leno 2015, the day of the 50th anniversary celebration, amidst the crowd, which included Bobby Kennedy Jr., Dolores Huerta, and Chris Christofferson, I saw a man who appeared very easygoing, but somehow commanded attention. The front of his t-shirt portrayed the likeness and name Larry Itliong. It was Larry's son, Johnny. 
many people were interviewing him, and I had the chance to interview him as well, since he wanted to reveal key facts. He and I spoke off to the side, beneath a tree, as the ceremonies continued on stage. Well, let me be clear why I'm here. I'm here to help correct the narrative that has been put out for many years about the UFW. My father asked Chavez to join the strike. There's a few things that need to be cleared up about the whole history of the union. People do not realize that the NFWA was an association that was not a union, and that AWOC, Agricultural Workers Organization Committee, which my father was the strike director for West Coast, and one month prior started a strike in Coachella. So the strike actually started in Coachella one month before September 7th when they took the vote and the 8th when they walked out of the fields. And this is the history that's not being told by the UFW. So now, through at least two different people, I have been informed that not only was Larry Itliong a key player, but he really was the catalyst for the historic strike, and that there should be more UFW founders in addition to Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta. In fact, Johnny Itliong mentioned others as well. Let me name off the names. Ben Gaines, Philip Veracruz, Pete Velasco, Andy Umatan, and even El Rojas. And the, other, and the other one was Gilbert Padilla. And they should be given the credit that is due them. There is something to be said about how some people identify with their own cultural heroes the most. But if there's more to be told, more heroes to share in the action, should we not all embrace them? In order to maintain the momentum of the 1965 activism, we have to honor the Filipino workers and Larry Itliong whenever the grape strike is remembered. We can all keep our heroes, but never forget those who shared in their heroism. As a Chicana, one of my heroes is Dolores Huerta. Here is her closing statement from the podium at the 50th anniversary celebration. One more thing, we gotta make sure we get involved in voting. This is the legacy of the union. We got people registered to vote, and we make them get out to vote so that we get good people to represent them, okay? Que viva la Unión de Campesinos! And then this is Larry Leong speaking in 1974. Eventually we figured that uh, in order for us really to develop the kind of vehicle that uh, we need to use to help ourselves, we have to get involved in the political structure of this country so that we can then have an input as to the kind of legislation that needs to be passed where protection such as our right to organize is going to be invited and also, we as uh, Filipinos in this country must have that kind of position. Clearly, Larry Leong is at the core of the legacy and heroes of the UFW. And this is the story that needs to be told, along with that of Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez, regardless of our culture. Larry Leong is a hero to all farm laborers and activists. Before Larry Leong's son, Johnny, and I parted ways in Deleno, he wanted to share additional reasoning for why he was there. I'm here, I'm here for my father, I'm here for my family, and I'm here, here for all of us. Because to me, this is such a great story that has been tainted by a, a story and not historical fact. 
And how more powerful could it be to have the true history come out and share, share in the limelight, you know, that my father should have gotten, but he didn't care about. There is a lot of effort to not only remember Larry Itliong, but to have him remembered and portrayed accurately by the UFW and really by all of us whenever we remember and speak about the 1965 Great Grape Strikes and Boycott. So on this recent journey to the Leno, I discovered I had to write about a rarely told story from a Chicana's perspective. Often, our cultural roots provide us our heroes, but so too our heroes can unite us with other cultures. And then collectively, these heroes can share the limelight and should all be honored for forging ahead. For Pacifica Radio and Apex Express, I'm Sarah Blanco. This piece was a collaboration with Free Will and Franklin. Special thanks to Johnny Itliong, John Armington, and Esther Urandai. And thanks to Apex Express for their cross-cultural collaboration. Welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM, KPFA and KPFA.org, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. I am Freewell and Franklin, and you just heard a special feature story about Filipino farm worker and organizer Larry Itliong and the 50th anniversary of the Great Grape Strike and Boycott of 1965. Up next, we're going to get a report on what is happening near the Nevada-Oregon border at Pahimaha, a.k.a. Thacker Pass, Nevada. There's a new mega lithium mine that was scheduled to go online in 2022, and we'll have an update. But before we go on, I want to remind you that we are still raising funds for KPFA tonight. The fund drive is officially over, but we're trying to close the gap. So if you are able to make a financial contribution tonight to keep this radio station listener-sponsored and going strong and keep bringing you this important information, please call or click in to make a donation. The website is kpfa.org. There you could see all kinds of thank you gifts that might be a great gift for you. The number to call anytime is one 800 439 5732. That's 1 800 439 5732. And that's 1 800 Hey KPFA. That's H E Y KPFA. Uh, contributions during the 7 to 8 p.m. hour not only show support for KPFA, like I always say, but also for the work we do here on Full Circle with the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Again, one last time, if you appreciated that story on Larry Itliong and the great grape strike and boycott of 1965, please call or click in to make a donation. The website, one more time, is kpfa.org. Or if you would like to call in, the number to call anytime is 1-800-439-5732. one 439 5732 Thank you all so much for the donation so far. And to everybody that's thinking about it, please uh, complete that thought and dial the number or click onto the website. 
But up next, we want to continue our show, and we're going to get a report on what's happening near the Nevada-Oregon border at Pahimaha, a.k.a. Thacker Pass, Nevada. There's a new lithium mine that, scheduled to go, that was scheduled to go online in 2022 and expand to double its capacity in 2026. According to the Nevada Independent, in a 2021 article, the outgoing Trump administration gave the green light the final approval to the Thacker Pass mines in the last days of the Trump administration. Right now, the White House is pushing for electric vehicles to become at least 50% of sales by 2030. And that has put a premium on electric car components such as batteries and the lithium that they're made of. Thacker Pass is set to be the biggest lithium deposit in the United States. It's being developed by Lithium Nevada, who's owned by Lithium America, and it's expected to have a mine life of 46 years. All this is taking place on sacred native land of the Shoshone Paiute people and other tribal people who share these surrounding territories. And right now, as we speak, not only are the machines rolling in and desecrating the land, but there's also been an ongoing and continuing resistance to this mine and this theft of land and natural resources. The land is known to the native people as Pihimaha, and oral history says that soldiers massacred around 30 Paiute tribal members here in 1865. Now another camp has been set up here to try and fight this mine. The camp takes its name from one of the survivors of the massacre of 1865, Ox Sam. The Ox Sam camp is being led by a group of grandmothers. Some of them are direct descendants of Ox Sam himself. To bring us up to date on the latest news out of the camp, I spoke with Chase Iron Eyes and Max Wilbert earlier today. All right. Yes. And joining us to talk about what's going on at Pahimaha, a.k.a. Thacker Pass, is um, our friend to the show who's been on many times to talk about this, Max Wilbert. And Max Wilbert is a community organizer and a writer. He's the author of the book Bright Green Lies, How the Environmental Movement Lost Its Way and What We Can Do About It. And Max uh, was part of the original kickoff of protecting uh, Pahimaha with the Protect Thacker Pass Camp back in January of 2021. Uh, welcome, Max. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Franklin. It's great to be back. Also here with us is Chase Iron Eyes of the Lakota Sioux. His name may be familiar to many of our listeners as we seem to find Chase um, a lot of times at the front lines of these battles. Thank you for joining us tonight on Full Circle Chase. Very good. Thank you for welcoming me. And as I said in my intro, the lithium mine that is scheduled to go on or in, was scheduled to go on in 2022 is an open pit lithium mine that would just take up a huge area of the environment up there. Let's get one of you, um, either Max or Chase, to start off by just telling us whose traditional lands these are and what's out there, kind of the terrain, uh, is it desert, is it forest, and then any sort of sacred sites or traditional grounds? Let me, uh, I'll start with um, 
kind of a basic rundown. I would like Max to cover, uh, you know, the the ecosystem and so forth. All right. So this is Chase Iron Eyes. Yes, sir. So I was invited out here by the Paiute and Shoshone grandmothers who have been in the area in what is now called Nevada, Oregon, uh, Utah, even as far as Wyoming, there are Shoshone people. And I came out first to assist in the lawsuit um, in my capacity as a legal advisor and as a, a media conduit. And I began to interface with the Reno Sparks Indian Colony and Max Wilbert and a brother named Will Falk, who's representing not only the Reno Sparks Indian Colony in its current lawsuit against the BLM to try to halt the construction of the uh, Thacker Pass lithium mine by Lithium Nevada. But uh, the Burns Paiute tribe and the Summit Lake Paiute tribe are also a party to that lawsuit. In that process, I, be, I was introduced to the grandmothers who live on the Fort McDermott Indian Reservation, which is the most proximate Indian reservation to the Thacker Pass lithium mine. And their territory, or their country, uh, is not subject to any treaty that we can find or that we can determine. So we're assuming that the United States um, just left that out. And by the time that Indians, Native people, Indigenous people were confined to the reservation system, that the BLM or the federal um, apparatus assumed that it had ownership, you know, quote unquote ownership of the area in question, but in legal terms, it's called unceded territory, and it's territory that is aboriginal in nature. It is inherent and indigenous in nature, meaning that the Paiute and Shoshone people are still intact. This is still their nation. The United States has to prove how it acquired it, and the camp, Ox Sam Camp, was constructed and authorized and sanctioned by the descendants of the man named Oxam, who was one of three survivors of a massacre in 1865 on the mine site, you know, where the mine is currently operating. The construction is underway, and it looks like they're clearing a giant area for one of the open pit mines. I don't know the extent of how many open pit mines that they are proposing, but they're going to be miles long, you know, maybe a mile wide and a hundred meters or more deep. And so they're, they're currently bulldozing and clear cutting old growth, um, high desert sagebrush forest. These are, there's an entire ecosystem out here that is being destroyed and in addition to that, one of the Paiute Shoshone uh, central sacred sites, which is known as Nipple Rock, colloquially and, and around here, they call it Nipple Rock or Piza, is the Paiute name for that particular rock. It's, um, it's central to the Paiute Shoshone worldview. It is still used for ceremonial purposes. And right now, Lithium Nevada has no trespassing signs uh, posted right near this central sacred site and there is a teepee that is right next to the corridor that is built for 
the theft of 1.7 billion gallons of water every single year for the next 40 years. If Lithium Nevada succeeds in constructing this, if the United States Department of the Interior fails to um, adequately protect these sacred sites, which they have a duty to do, and the site is legally accessible for religious purposes, according to an executive order of the United States uh, and the White House, it is executive order number 13007, Indian sacred sites, and the Paiute and Shoshone people and others who are not named, who I, I don't know who all, you know, uh, has a spiritual relationship with the site here. But according to the American Indian Religious Freedom Act, which was passed in 1978, um, there is a policy of the United States to allow for the exercise, you know, the inherent right to believe, express, and access traditional religious sites and the use of and possession of sacred objects of, of which there are some obtainable there. This is an obsidian uh, quarry. There, there are mass amounts of obsidian on this place called Nipple Rock. Um, and, and really, uh, it's hallowed ground to the grandmothers, Grandmother Josephine, Sam, Dick is her uh, married name, uh, and Doris, Sam, Antonio, th those are descendants and family members of Ox Sam, who survived that massacre, and whose story is um, largely unknown, although, you know, synchronistically, Big Bill Haywood, in his autobiography, interviewed Ox Sam and provided some of the insight as to the significance of the area and the story that still hasn't been told. So for, for all these reasons, the grand the Paiute and Shoshone grandmothers are exercising their inherent authority and reclaiming this their sovereignty in this territory. And they're currently engaged in a ceremonial arrestable action. There are two teepees right within the site, directly within the line of construction. And for, for right now, at least for two weeks now, we celebrated two weeks of the uh, ceremonial camp holding ground. Um, the BLM has not visited the site a single time. No, no, no regulatory officer of the BLM has been on site to contest the title and the right of these grandmothers to be where, where they are and where they have been prohibited from exercising their sovereignty. The Humboldt County Sheriff's Office has been out maybe three or four times. They've made no arrests. They've made it clear that they're not affiliated, or at least they claim to be affiliated with the Lithium uh, Nevada Mining Company. Uh, but we, we see in the temporary protection orders, restraining orders, against Max Wilbert, another brother, uh, Paul, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, I don't want to butcher it, uh, Chuck Banner, and also another uh, uh, TRO or TPO directed against Doris Sam, one of the founding grandmothers of Ox Sam Camp. Um, we're presenting an active legal controversy, and we I feel that something bigger is is holding back the kind of vicious and violent response that we usually are accustomed to from a, a very militaristic and 
private, corporate-driven, extractive process. They're, they're not only carrying out bright green lies in not telling the full story, not, not appreciating the, the true cost of electric vehicles. And to be clear, Thacker Pass Lithium Mine has already is already spoken for in terms of the the sale of the lithium general motors has agreed to purchase all of the recoverable lithium in that monstrous site president biden the united states government has already loaned almost a billion dollars i believe 900 million dollars to this project president biden has come out and said hey everything's okay this project is still going forward so they're sending their their messages and their signals through the media, but we're supporting the call of indigenous grandmothers, Paiute and Shoshone grandmothers, who are calling on the Secretary of the Interior to come here in person, visit on site, and take a full scope to take in what is really happening on the ground and, and how the Paiute and Shoshone grandmothers are empowered in how they have a right to protect their hallowed ground, to conduct ceremonies that have never been conducted for those relatives of theirs whose bones, flesh, and blood are on the surface or are an unknown, perhaps even being currently bulldozed right now as we speak. They're working at all hours of the day. They're, they're bulldozing. They're doing different uh, destructive activities. And so it's really uh, jarring. But we, we feel the, the spiritual uh, impetus from these grandmothers who should be allowed to, to be at home in their, in their twilight years, in their golden years. But yet Grandma Josephine is getting up at 5 in the morning, uh, cooking you know food for the camp coming up and visiting the camp most recently after they put up no trespassing signs on nipple rock grandma josephine asked us to put up a teepee there and so she could hold ceremony there so she could go in there and consecrate the actions and the ceremonies that are ongoing at this time there's a lot they've never really grieved for the two massacres that have happened here everything happens so fast in the span of 150 years that they've not been able to go out to that territory. They go out there to pick medicines. And that's a whole nother uh, a line, line of reasoning of why this place needs to be protected. Deb Holland needs to step in. She needs to come here. President Biden needs to tell the truth about electric vehicles and the, the, the whole impact that this uh, extractive process this green colonialism is uh, exacting on those that are forced to live in the sacrifice zone and i'll end by saying that this is the native people who are standing here are fully supported by all of the ranchers or at least the ranchers have gone out of their way we're talking white settler ranchers that have been here probably since the dawes allotment act the homesteading act who acquired uh, you know, stolen property, but who are living side by side by the Paiute and Shoshone people who have formed relationships with the Paiute and Shoshone people and who are trying to make a living, an agrarian lifestyle living, farming and ranching here. 
Some of them have almost gone broke fighting the lithium company to protect their land and their water. I mean, they, they plan to steal all of this water. I don't know where they think they're going to get 1.7 billion gallons a year, but various ranchers have come up to the camp, asked what we're doing. They see the teepees from the road. And one of them even came up and, and cooked carne asada for the whole camp. And they let us know that they stand with us. We've had people from Winnemucca, from Humboldt County, who work for the school district. They're on their job in some, some uh, remote school. And they stopped in and let us know that they live a mile from where Lithium Nevada is going to ship on rail uh, sulfur and other petroleum products. And they're going to house it a mile from where their children are living. So local people are up in arms. But I, I believe that the indigenous uh, spiritual and legal foundation to this resistance camp is providing a conduit for local people who, who have not recognized the scope of their power. You know, they, some of these ranchers have just sold out. They just sold their ranches because they know, they see the writing on the wall. They know that they're not going to be able to make a living here. As far as we can tell, this mine is, is not wanted here. But it's so remote that, you know, the, the type of, the demographic of people that live here are not accustomed to standing up to big corporate extraction or, you know, impending corporate fascism. The, the private entity is trying to take over every aspect of our lives as we see it. And we're, we're out here trying to defend that on behalf of indigenous nations and who, who are denied their nationhood and on behalf of American people who are going to have to raise their children here. So it's been, it's been a spiritual experience. It's, it's been very moving. And, and I'm just I'm happy and honored to be out here at the invite of the Paiute Shoshone grandmothers. Thank you. That is uh, Chase Iron Eyes of Lakota Sioux Nation, and he is out at the Oxam Camp, which is set up to protect these traditional lands. And as he said, he was invited to be part of the camp. And I know that folks at the camp are inviting the community to come out and protect this lands. And let me just put out uh, some of the facts here according to an NS Energy report that Thacker Pass is set to be the biggest lithium deposit in the United States. It's being developed by Lithium Nevada, owned by Lithium America, and it's expected to have a mine life of up to 46 years. And this is an open pit mine, which means they just scrape off the top of a huge area and start digging down. And um, it, the construction is underway. The desecration of the land is underway. Let's bring Max in real quick because you did talk about the water and the um, the sagebrush. Again, uh, Max, according to the NS Energy article, raw water supply will be sourced from a well or a series of wells in the Quinn River Valley, and then they'll use electrical submersible pumps will be installed uh, in the groundwater wells to bring water to a surface station and then pump to the plant uh, approximately uh, 12 kilometers long. Talk about um, the land that's out there and what will happen if this water supply um, becomes just the lithium mine water supply. What would happen to the area? Thank you, Franklin. And uh, Chase, that was very well said. The water is a big issue here because Nevada is the driest state in the country. And mining 
is already using so much water across the state of Nevada. So uh, the area around Thacker Pass, the aquifer underground uh, where the wells pump water from is already being overdrawn. So uh, just because of the agriculture and the people living in the area, there's already more water being taken than is being recharged by rainfall and streams and snow and so on. So the water table, the depth of the water underground in the soil is dropping lower and lower. The wells have to be drilled deeper and deeper every year. And this is continuing a process of destruction of the natural environment in this region that has been going on for 150 years at this point. This Thacker Pass lithium mine is just another insult, another injury to uh, an area that has already faced a lot of challenges and that is going to face many more going forward. A lot of people would make the argument that because the lithium from the Thacker Pass lithium mine is slated to go to electric vehicles, that ultimately it's a worthwhile trade-off because those electric vehicles will help reduce carbon emissions, which will help slow down, hopefully halt and reverse global warming, and uh, that that may reduce drought, for example, and so reduce the burden that these places are facing, the challenges that they're facing. The difficulty with that, there are a couple difficulties. One is that most of the electricity in the United States is today produced from coal and natural gas. So even if you're driving an electric car, you may reduce emissions compared to driving a gasoline-powered car, but the reductions aren't that big. They're not big enough to solve global warming. One calculation said that if all the cars in the country were to switch to electric vehicles overnight, emissions at the national level would be reduced by about 6%. The other challenge is that we have this penchant in the United States for big cars. And big cars require a lot of energy to run, whether you're talking about gasoline, diesel, or lithium batteries. And with General Motors getting involved at Thacker Pass, one of the biggest EVs of them all, the electric Hummer, would be produced using lithium from Thacker Pass. So this is, just to be clear, this lithium is not going to be used in a responsible way with the best interests of the planet at, at heart. It's going to be used by a for-profit corporation that is seeking to make as much money as it can off the population of this country and off subsidies from the federal government to produce money. The goal is to produce money, not to produce carbon emissions reductions. And I do think that we need to move away from fossil fuels. I've been fighting the fossil fuel industry for many years. I know Chase and many of the other people who are involved in this fight have been as well. We're not arguing that we stick with fossil fuels, but I am arguing that we can't just swap out what's under the hood of a car and expect our problems to be solved because our problems go much deeper than fuel. They go to consumerism and consumption and growth and taking more and more and treating the land with disrespect and treating the water with, with a complete lack of respect. And that's what we really need to change. Definitely. I think there's a real lack of 
honor and respect for what a lot of people call the rights of nature, for them to exist, for the salmon to have fresh water, for the grouse out there to have their sagebrush, for the people that are there to have that underground and that creek water supply um, to supply them. Well, we we only got about five more minutes. Let me get an update from Chase. Where are we on the legal battle? And is this going to be stopped uh, legally, halted, um, slowed down? And then w- tell us what are you asking folks to do? And we'll wrap up with, you know, what can folks do to support? And of course, where can we find more information? Okay. Yeah. Um, so the, there, there is one legal battle that is being spearheaded by Reno Spark, Summit Lake, and Burns Pipe through Will Falk. And so we're asking people to continue this, to support that on protectthatcouldpass.org. And there's also other, you know, it's not like we have unlimited uh, resources in deep, deep pockets like Lithium Nevada or like Lithium America or GM or Tesla. You know, this is David versus Goliath situation here. And so we're working on other international angles to exercise, protect, and defend the right of the Paiute and Shoshone people to express themselves, express their nationhood, their international character, meaning that they have a right to ensure that their territory is not, quote-unquote, developed without their free, prior, and informed consent. In domestic law, which President Biden and Interior Secretary Deb Holland would like to keep this confined within a domestic issue, because right now they're just ignoring us. Right now we don't have the numbers. We don't have the numbers of people that we need to compel the American public to take a look at what's going on here. We know that through the American Indian Religious Freedom Act, that Paiute and Shoshone people legally cannot be denied from accessing their sacred sites. We know that the United States government has a duty through their own executive orders, through their own legal tradition, to protect the sovereignty and to defend the sovereignty. Native people, indigenous people, sign treaties with the United States. And since there's no treaty here, then we must treat the Paiute and Shoshone people's presence and authority here as still intact because it was never legally impacted by the presence of the United States, by the presence of a foreign colonial push to erase and absorb Paiute and Shoshone sovereignty and people. But in order to do that, we're exercising everything we can inside the courts of the law, inside the institutions of politics and economics. But it's also requiring a bit more. And thankfully, we have brave grandmothers who are willing to stand in an arrestable ceremony in their own sight. They have to risk arrest just to exercise their very basic spiritual rights that they they have continued to conduct and perform their ceremonies in this territory. But we need help. We need people. We need your intentions. We need your awareness. We need you to educate yourself. We need you to visit oxsam.org. We need you to visit our social channels at oxsamcamp. 
if you can contribute financially, then yes, we we need that. Like we're we're out here supporting these grandmothers, and as long as they're here, as long as they're in this ceremonial stand for the future of the human species, for the future of humanity and all those other relatives, creatures that depend on the integrity of the Thacker Pass ecosystem, then we're going to stand with them. And you're going to see this more and more because indigenous nations have a different spiritual and legal standing. But we are here with open arms. We are reaching our hands out and shaking hands with those Americans, those European Americans, those Canadians, people who want a different reality, a different spiritual and economic reality for them and their families, for their children and for the unborn. So I would, we're, we're asking people just to stay in tune with those of us who are here on the ground in defense of Mother Earth and in defense of the Paiute and Shoshone grandmothers who are on the line out here. Definitely, again, that's Chase Iron Eyes. He's at the Ox Sam camp, and he is with um, some sacred grandmothers who are working hard physically with their bodies in the way, trying to protect a Pahimaha, also known as Thacker Pass. And Max, um, some closing words for you. You kind of kicked part of this off back in 2021. Um, how are you feeling today? Because I, I, I'm feeling a little terrible knowing that um, just a description of the land being bulldozed at this point. Uh, we need to get folks out there. Uh, but some closing words for you, Max. It's an urgent situation. This is happening right now. Uh, as you're listening to this, the land is being destroyed. This sacred place is being desecrated. You know, where the camp is set up right now is along the direct route that Ox Sam took as he fled from the massacre in 1865 where his family was getting killed. And his descendants, the descendants of those people who were killed are camping there, are putting their bodies on the line, are standing up to protect that resting place to protect the land. It's incredibly powerful. And I have so much respect for the people who are there, who are on the ground. I'm not on the ground right now due to these legal threats against me from Lithium Nevada Corporation that we're fighting, we'll continue to fight. But I hope that people will show up and continue this because this was all snuck through during the last days of the Trump administration, during the height of the COVID pandemic, the tribes didn't even know that this project was happening until after the permit was issued. So all of the normal processes that were supposed to be followed, all of the procedures and the regulations that aren't even that good in the first place, even those were not followed. They were not followed. They were blatantly broken. There's so much corruption involved in the permitting of this mine. And the only way that's going to be made right is if everyday people stand up and stand against it. All right. Max Wilbert, author of 
bright green lies and chase iron eyes out there at the Oxam camp. We appreciate this very important update on what's happening at Pahimaha, a.k.a. Thacker Pass, with um, basically the uh, country's largest proposed largest lithiumized uh, lithium mine, excuse me, which will be desecrating, of course, sacred land out there with the Paiute Shoshone, as well as other tribal nations. I appreciate this important update, and we look forward to having you back in the future on Full Circle. Also, listeners, watch out for more from Max and Chase on Flashpoints coming up in the next few weeks. We're going to start some drumbeat coverage there. Um, again, you too. Thanks for joining us tonight on Full Circle. And we'll put a link to um, all your social media and um, websites on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show tonight. I appreciate you, and thank you for your work. Stay safe out there. Thank you, Franklin. Thank you, Chase, as well. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA and KPFA.org, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. I'm Preble and Franklin, and you just heard Max Wilbert and Chase Iron Eyes. They both are helping to protect the sacred land of Pihimaha from a destructive lithium mine on Paiute Shoshone territory near the Nevada-Oregon border. Again, we'll link to their social media and websites just after the show on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. One of the women they mentioned in the interview was Doris Sam Antonio. On Friday, May 19th, in the early morning, Humboldt County Sheriff's Department delivered a temporary restraining order to Doris, a Paiute land defender and direct descendant of Ox Sam one of the sole survivors of the massacre at Pahimaha, where the lithium mine is being built. The order forced Doris to leave the Oxam ceremonial encampment and sacred fire under threat of arrest. This is audio from a short video Doris posted to their Instagram at Oxam Camp. Check it out. Doris Sam Antonio Mia Tower away to Nukiman, Payudino, Shoshone, and Oxam Oxam and Nukimada. My name is Doris Sam Antonio. I'm a former Payut Shoshone tribal enrolled member. Um, I am an Oxam descendant. He is my great great grandfather. I have been standing on the front lines. Um, protecting our ceremonial prayers for my ancestors unmarked burial grounds at Thacker Pass, also known as Pihimaha. At 10.27 a.m. today, I was served with a TRO from the Humboldt County Sheriff's Office. Violation of this order is a crime. This is an official court order. If you disobey this order, you may be arrested. This is not right. It is unlawful to deny me access to our sacred sites. Sentinel Rock, also known as Bizaripi, is used by my people. To this day, we are in danger of losing our ways 
as human beings. We have a choice to watch evil win or stand in our truth for our children and our elders. How long do we have to, to live? How much are we willing to give? All right, welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. You were just listening to Doris Sam Antonio. She is on the front lines in the fight to stop Lithium Nevada from desecrating the sacred lands of her ancestors. To see the video, head over to the Ox Sam Instagram at Ox Sam Camp. That's O X S A M C A M P. And just a reminder, if you are moved by this type of programming that you're hearing tonight on KPFA, please consider making a donation over here at kpfa.org. We are listener-sponsored, and we stay on the air with your support. If you'd like to call in and make a donation, you could do that at 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-439-5732. Again, thank you to all those on the line, all those that have donated tonight. Um, Please keep the calls coming and the clicks coming. We're about out of time because that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Be sure to check out First Voice Media Facebook page and kpfaapprentice.org for more information and important links related to tonight's show. Let me give a big shout out to the Full Circle crew, the executive director, Miss M, and me, Freewell and Franklin. I'm the technical director for this show, Full Circle. I have also been your host tonight. Thank you for listening, everyone. Remember, while you're out there, Please protect your health and also your humanity. And stay tuned to KPFA. Up next, like always, is La Onda Fajita. Good night, everyone.